Luke chapter 13, starting from verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tau in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and had found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, th- look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Our second passage comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Romans chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So I'm just standing, right? Um, two of the pastors are on holiday. My name is Mervyn, um, and I work as a staff worker here at SLE. Um, when they got me to go through these nine verses, they said, it should be easy, what can go wrong? Well, today's passages may be short, passage may be short, but um, they are really hard verses to hear. So, I'm going to pray right now for God, uh, God to work by His Spirit in our hearts as we hear from His Word clearly. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Without it, we have no way to hear You speak. Speak now, Lord, by Your Spirit. Pierce our hearts and bring us to our knees as we hear Your Son's plea for us to come back to You. Help me speak clearly as I ought. In your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, click. Oops, too far. Now, on the screen there, on the left, for some of you, that might be unfamiliar, but a lot of us know that's the bombing of Hiroshima in 1945. And depending on your age range, that image would conjure up or trigger emotions ranging from rage to anger to despair. Or maybe you don't know what it is and have no feelings to it at all. Or it would conjure up sadness and compassion for the Japanese people. On the right is an image probably less familiar to most people if you don't watch the news. 
just a few days ago, 22nd of December, three days before Christmas, a five-year-old boy in Townsville woke up to both his, his parents killed, found dead. We don't know the circumstance, but in one sleep, he lost everything. In today's passage, Jesus interacts with how we should react to suffering and calamity that happens to both us and others in this world. His answer may not sit well to some of you, but yet for others, it actually makes perfect sense and it will be a source of comfort. Before we begin though, let's get our bearings in Luke on where this passage sits. We know that towards the end of um, last week, if you were here with Pastor Steve, we know that um, he talked about around chapter 12, verse 54, he said something about the weather. It should be easy to figure out the weather. If you see clouds, rain might come. If there's no clouds and it's windy and it's a bit hot, it'll be sunny. It makes perfect sense. Then further on from there, he talks about settling sin with your, uh, and debt with your accuser to work out your, your debt with the, magis- uh, with the magistrate or with the judge. So come down then to verse 1. And in verse 1, it says that some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans. So what's going on? You see, it's like some of them didn't really get what Jesus was saying before. And so just like um, some of them who don't get it, they will say, now, Jesus, you see, we kind of get what you're talking about. Actually, they didn't. They go, talking about judging and sinning and payment. Well, how do you explain this case of the Galileans then? They brought up a case before him. They said, just like, you know, rookie law students in uni, apologies if you guys are from the law, uh, uh, studying law, they kind of like, oh, yep, let's bring up a case to discuss with this guru here. The Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled case. So this passage starts like this. And these nine verses actually have a very simple structure. They brought up a case. Jesus then brings up his own case. And then in pure, in pure Jesus style, he launches into a parable to make his point clearer. Um, and we will go into that in a moment. But for now, let's look at this first case. The Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled. It's like watching current affairs at night, isn't it? Two stories, dramatic opening music. And in the, our first story tonight, we have a political atrocity. Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled. Here we have Galileans who seem to be performing some sort of sacrifice because the sacrificed blood is mingled with their blood. So we know that Galileans, um, if you read the Bible from the Old Testament, are people of God. So we can only conclude that they're actually doing sacrifices to God. And along comes Pilate's troops, we don't know why, and killed them. The result, their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifices. Well, why is that so bad? It's so bad because, one, they got killed while worshipping God. Right? And two, how can they be worse sinners? That's the question that God's asking, or Jesus is asking. If they're doing the very thing 
that God commanded to do, to offer sacrifices to Him. Nothing can be more righteous than doing what God wants to do. So what's going on? But before we figure out that, we have a second story. Jesus brought a story of his own. Industrial accident in Siloam happened. A tower fell, 18 died. At that time, we don't know much about the circumstance around it. If we had the Jewish times of that day, we might be able to read more and know more. But for now, though, all we know is randomly, 18 people got killed because, boom, tower fell and they died. Are they worse offenders? Are they Galileans? Are they Jewish at all? How can we compare these two? Who are these eight people? Does it matter? Because all we have is that they died. What is the point of these two stories? Well, at least we know for sure that some sort of suffering and calamity happened. They both said, both stories, people died. The hints come from how Jesus responds in verses 3 and 5. Read with me verse 3 and 5. It says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We know that if you're reading through the Bible and there are repeated sentences or phrases, it's actually quite important and we need to pay attention. Especially verses 3 and 5, they are identical for each story. Jesus said word for word exactly the same thing. So we really need to pay attention here. We weren't sure if someone in the audience actually asked the question or whether Jesus um, is saying what what's already on their mind. But either way, Jesus asked this question that's similar. Who were worse sinners? Who is the worst offender? Imagine Jesus asking the same question today through COVID, through loss of work, through some mass murders that's happened, or forest, forest fires that killed animals or killed, uh, burned people's homes up, depression, mental health issues, cancer, any sort of suffering. Which of these sufferers are worse sinners or offenders? And then imagine Jesus replying to all of it saying, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. It seems there's this worldview he's trying to respond to that is both uh, prevalent then and also now. Do bad things and get bad things done to you. Karma. What goes around comes around. First thing that we can conclude from his response is what he didn't say. He went, no, let me tell you, none are worse sinners, actually. None of them, because he didn't actually interact with that question. It's not a competition here. There's no worse sinner championship where you can actually compete to be the worst sinner to get the most calamity. We can't help it though, right? All these images, all these stories automatically make us wonder to balance the account, who's worse off? Why is this happening to me? Does the suffering, be, is, is it deserving? We rationalize this karma, we go yin and yang, we try to balance it. What did I do wrong to deserve this? But Jesus is saying here, no, it is not that at all. Guess what? 
It is about you. And the second thing we notice, he kind of switches the situation towards the listener. And he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You, the listener must repent or likewise perish. So what's going on? Again, the, the question, the answer doesn't seem to match the question. Jesus is saying, let me tell you this. You, all of you, have sin. And unless you repent, you are going to end up like them. You will perish. At which case you might go, oh, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, Jesus. We're talking about these people here. Not me. Don't make it about me. Stop talking about me. It's not about me at all. You see, asking who is the worst sinner when you see suffering happen is a very narrow view of sin. Jesus has a broader one. But till today, we still have this difficulty. It comes by different names. We call it karma. We call it yin and yang. What goes around comes around. When, life's, when life gives you a lemon, you make Ice lemon tea, oh no, sorry, lemonade in this country. Ice lemon tea is in Asia, most likely. But this is not what Jesus sees in this passage. Suffering is not directly tied to the amount of sin a sufferer has. It's not a sliding scale. Instead, he refocuses the need for repentance to all of us and to you. It's not the amount of sin we commit. Jesus is plainly saying to the, the listeners and to us readers here today, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Friends, sin in the Bible can be summed up this way. We ignore God and his commands, and we want to live our lives our own way as us, as king of our own lives. There's no greater or smaller sin. All sin essentially is us waving our fists at God and say, I want to be my own king and walking in the opposite direction. That's what sin is. Repentance then in this situation is Jesus saying, come back. Through me, you can come back. Turn away from ignoring God. Come back to him. While you still can, come back, repent, turn back to God, and I promise you, because of me, you will not perish. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about suffering or the suffering of this world. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about caring for suffering. But in this passage, this one, what he's saying is that he made it personal, he made it personal to us. Because sin is simultaneously cosmic and personal at the same time. It is cosmic because we know that ever since Genesis 3, if you know your Bible, sin entered the world through Adam. Suffering is actually a symptom of the curse of sin. It is personal because he's telling us when we experience or see suffering, remember the curse. Feel it. Know that it's not right. Groan deeply inside. Yearn for what is right. And then repent. Come back to God the Father through me and you will be safe. 
It is only through me and my redeeming blood on the cross that you will eventually be restored. There will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more perishing. Then he goes into a parable. In true Jesus style, he finishes his point with this parable. Let's look at the parable then. For a bit of diversity, if you know your Bibles, it is not grapes, it's figs. This time he's changed it up a bit. It's usually grapes, not as figs. So he knows diversity as well. The story is simple enough to understand. Owner of the vineyard, a vine dresser, and fig trees. The owner is frustrated because the fig trees is not producing any fruit. He's pretty patient. Three years he's waited. And then he's come out, he's angry, he wants to cut it down. The vine dresser then says, no, 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 wait, give it a year, I'll look after it. And then if those who are not bearing fruit, you can cut it down. Those who are bearing fruit will be safe. What does it all mean? The owner is God, coming out to see his fig trees, whether they bear fruit. Fig trees are usually a national symbol for Israel in the Bible. So basically it means his people that is coming out to see if they're bearing fruit. Now, it's also easy to mistake, as I have, that the fruit here means fruit of the Spirit or gospel fruit. So then we can run into a tangent saying, okay, well, I should really go and evangelize to tell the gospel to my neighbor after this sermon and then be done with it. But remember, the passage that was before, that's not what it is at all. Verse 6, if you read it, it has, and he told this parable. The end indicates that it's connected somehow to the story before. If you connect the two then, you can only conclude that really, if repentance was the focus, then he's really talking about the fruit of repentance. Repentance is the fruit that he's checking, whether we have or not. So putting that together, God is looking at his people and seeing if there's a fruit of repentance and he wants to cut it down because there were none. The vine dresser then pleaded for more time and promises to nurture the fig tree to bear fruit. So the fig tree then avoids this perishing for now, and God will come back again and see if there's fruit or not to cut down. There are kind of three points. There are three points we can get from this parable. One, the only way to avoid perishing is to repent. And repentance is a choice. It's not passive. Nobody is automatically safe from perishing. There needs to be turning away from our own sinfulness, rebellious ways, and turning towards God in repentance. That's what repenting means. The only way to be truly accepted and not be cut down when the the why that owner comes out is to repent. We repent through the cross, through the saving blood of Christ, who died for us and rose again and defeated death so we will never perish. It's an active choice. Now, two, repenting is an ongoing process. It's a bit of a younger crowd, uh, the second service, so not everybody grows trees here, so you might not relate, but my dad likes to grow Fruits. We've got a papaya plant or tree at the back of our house. Imagine this papaya growing one fruit, one papaya, huge. Then we eat it, and then for the rest of the tree's life, 
produces nothing. It takes up space in my garden. And I've got to put manure on, and it produces nothing. What do you think I'm going to do with the tree? I'll cut it down, put mangoes on, because I prefer mangoes, right? So that's the point here. You don't just produce one fruit, you produce many fruits, right? So in the same way, repenting, if it's a fruit, must keep bearing this fruit. As Christians, we must keep repenting. It's a lifetime of constant denying ourselves, saying no to our sin, saying no to what we want when we've done something wrong, and turn back to God through Christ. A truly fruitful fig tree means that we're repenting every day, every hour, every minute even. Another thing to notice in this parable is that repenting didn't actually happen when there was suffering. It happens in general. It's actually what should happen all the time. Jesus kind of took the topic of suffering and the case and then kind of expanded it into the whole life of the believer in this parable. Yes, even when times are going well, when seemingly kindness from God, everything is going okay, we are to be repenting. We are to be bearing the fruit of repentance. Paul reminds us, as we read in one of the passages in Romans 2, 4. I'll read this to you. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So repentance happens all the time, even in when everything seems to be okay. Now, the third and final point, there is a time limit to this. In this parable, the vine dresser pleaded for one year. I don't believe that it means a literal one year, as if from now and then in a year's time, all of us would perish if we didn't repent, literally. But what I do know is that we will perish eventually if we don't repent, because Jesus repeated it twice in verses 3 and 5. Unless we repent, perishing is inevitable. Also, Jesus made it personal by saying, unless you repent, So you have to understand, it's not a collective thing. Like, one tree is actually all of us. As if I say, oh, you know, I don't really need to do the repenting thing because Pastor Ben has repented for me last week. He's bearing the fruit for me, so I don't need to do it. I don't think it works that way. Each tree is one person. Whether you are repenting and bearing fruits of repentance, it's up to you. In the parable, one year is meant to signify Delayed time, borrowed time, while we're waiting for the owner of the wine year to come back. There's a time limit to this. And when he comes back, chop, chop. So let's conclude. If you're not a believer or if you're not sure today, it is a hard thing to hear. But I didn't say this, it came from the Bible. No one likes to talk about hell or eternal perishing. Jesus said it himself. And there's one way to avoid it, by repenting. Repent is an active choice. It's not automatic. Turning away from ignoring God and turning towards the cross by believing in Jesus, who has taken up all your sins by dying on the cross for you. When he rose up, he paid the price, and he beat death so that you don't have to perish. 
And if you want to find out more about what I'm talking about here, you can speak to me after the sermon or uh, the pastors or someone who has brought you to church. Now, for the Christians, I've got this picture. I like mangoes. I don't know what, it's not figs, but try to work with me here with the correlation. Lots of fruit, no fruit. Anyway, the point is this. Whether you are a young tree or an old one, you need to hear this loud and clear. The act of repentance is not a once-off. It is something we must do all the time and very often. The very people that Jesus was talking to, they thought they were safe. They were Jews, meant to be part of God's people. And Jesus said it anyway. And so I think we need to hear it today in case we thought we were safe. And here's why. As much as it pains me to show you the next picture, I'll share it anyway. This news shook me to the core, and it's still shaking me. By His grace, I stumbled upon this set of articles. Now, if you don't know me well, um, I'm a big fan of Ravi. He's one of the um, greatest apologists in our time. And I say is a fan because I'm still processing this. Whether it will be was a fan, I'm not sure. But today we see another hero fall, especially after his death earlier this year. And that's quite hard for me. You know, he, this is the guy that kind of wrote Can Man Live Without God? and many other books. And now he's uncovered as a fraud or worse, a sexual predator. Saying that out loud still saddens me, even in second service. I've said it out loud a few times. If Ravi, such a seemingly godly and gifted ministry man, could fall from grace due to the hidden sin he's got, sins that he brought to his deathbed that's now uncovered, it could happen to anyone. We're not immune to sin after we've said the sinner's prayer no one is safe that way. Ravi's just proven it. Back to the mangoes. Now, I don't know if Ravi, I don't know Ravi personally, so I can't really comment on his fruitfulness of repentance day by day. But looking at the accusations and all that, I am convinced that we need to hear what Jesus is saying. Repent and repent often. You see, repentance is actually an act of worship. If you're worshipping God and you want to worship God every day, it is an act of worship. Why do I say that? Because you, what you're doing is really allowing and inviting the Holy Spirit to search your heart, the depths of your heart, find sin there, practice hating it, bringing it to the cross, denying its power on you, and turning away and going back to God. Let me say that again. It's a daily act of worship because through repenting, you're allowing and inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart, searching it often, finding sin there, practice hating it, bringing it to the cross, deny its powerful hold on you, and turning away and walking towards God. Let me explain how this works. First to the barren tree that's on the right. They tend to think to themselves, aha, so-and-so needs to hear this sermon by Merv today, really. 
doesn't apply to me, but this person really should read to listen to this. I'll send him the link after this sermon. Or her. Or I've done nothing wrong here, I'm good. Nothing to see here, carry on. I've done nothing, I've got nothing to repent of. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a, someone who steals. I'm a generally good person. Simply looking at the discussion questions later, and either in your heart or in your group, how you answer them, you could tell. As for the fruitful representing tree, if you're bearing fruit, striving to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul means that you're constantly reading Scripture to find out what God loves and hates and learning how to love or hate these same things. Now, as a believer who's doing that, how does it look like? You'd love to share the gospel and teach others who Jesus is from the Bible every day and every chance you have. Now, if you're not, then you're repenting that you've given excuses not to do so or pretend that you're too busy with other things and avoid doing so. If you're a believer who is eager to learn about Jesus because you feel like you don't know enough about who he is, and so you can do point number one better so that you can teach that, then you'll be repenting every time you'd say, Ayah, Bible too chimna, too difficult, I don't understand, I'll just give up. This believer will be eager to repent when he or she loses control of temper to their kids, to their spouses, to their best friends, to their neighbor on the street, to the car that cut you in the lane. This believer will be eager to repent of lustful thoughts. This believer will be very quick to recognize pride, even the pride of saying that this sermon's not applicable to you today. Or the pride that says, I'm a lifelong, lifelong Christian. I've been a Christian for more than you've been alive. I've learned everything, and I don't need to go for this grunt thing, this bloom thing, this leader's camp thing, this marriage refresher course thing, this church camp thing. I've done all that. I've retired. Or any other extra Christian event that teaches me to love God so I can love other people thing. You repent, repent of that pride. Friends, whether you're a new Christian or one that's been 50 plus years as a Christian, today's passage should challenge us and challenge us greatly because repenting doesn't only happen once when you become a Christian. It certainly doesn't stop when you retire. It only stops when the vineyard owner comes back, when Jesus comes again or when we die especially when he says, no, let me tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Let us pray. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let him shine a huge, huge spotlight into our hearts and show us the areas of our lives we need to bring to the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that no matter how big or small it is, we can bring it to Jesus. Because by his blood, we were made righteous. Move us towards bearing this fruit of repentance often 
and all the time. In his name we pray. Amen.